0: Giselle Hannah here for this week's edition of Stick Together, the only national program focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues from a worker's perspective. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR and the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. In the second part of the show, I bring you an update on the NSS dispute between the company and members of the Electrical Trade Union. They're based out in Thomastown in Melbourne, Victoria. Those workers are entering week 19 of their dispute. But first, some union news. (laughs) 400 train drivers at BHP in the Pilbara in WA, who are members of the Mining and Energy Union, voted to take industrial action commencing on the 24th of November, after rejecting an offer they said fell short on consistency of working schedules, camp standards and arbitration. The plan was for workers to stop using the BHP app for roster changes, which would then force individual contact from the company. This would have been the first industrial action in the Pilbara since 2008. However, BHB put in a revised offer which is expected to go to a vote of workers next week. The industrial action is currently on hold until December 12. And 1,500 paramedics in New South Wales are angry over rising expectations and sluggish pay. They're fighting for pay parity with Queensland paramedics who earn about 20% more than they do. The novel approach to industrial action by these New South Wales paramedics involves them refusing to renew their paramedic registration, which would basically mean that it's illegal for them to work. The Health Services Union says nearly one in three New South Wales paramedics, that's more than 1,500 have pledged to boycott professional registration, which is due for renewal by the 1st of December. That would make them little more than ambulance drivers and leave the state desperately short of paramedics able to handle patients. If paramedics carry out the threat, they'll have a one-month grace period to register, meaning their ability to work will expire on the 31st of December, leaving the Minns government with an unwelcome New Year's Day hangover. (coughs) And Shipping Australia has attempted to intervene in the DP world dispute by appealing to the federal government to call an end to the industrial action, claiming it is wiping 20 million off the wider economy every day. DP World processes about 40% of all Australian freight, and one day of simultaneous industrial action will disrupt cargo at DP World to a value of approximately $201.6 million per day. The Maritime Union of Australia has scheduled more stoppages, including 24-hour stoppages in Sydney on the 24th and 27th of November, and in Brisbane on the 2nd of December. The MUA and DP World have been back in the Fair Work Commission, but DP World seems more interested in golf than a fair deal for workers. The strikes are in response to proposed rostering changes for wharfies at DP World, which the MUA says would result in pay cuts and additional weekend work. And Virgin has reached an agreement with its ground crew preventing strike action on land and securing 14.5% to 26.5% pay increases over the life of the agreement. The in-principle deal has been endorsed by the Transport Workers Union delegates and still needs to be put to other members for a vote, but the protected action ballot has been withdrawn for now. The Transport Workers' Union declared victory on Monday, claiming its agreement for ground staff brought fairer pay, more secure jobs and safer working conditions. But the airline isn't in the clear from strikes just yet, with cabin crews having commenced voting on a protected action ballot this week as key concerns go unaddressed. The TWU said experienced workers who took the biggest cut throughout the pandemic are looking at a pay increase of between 8 and 20% in the first year before 6.5% rises across the board in the next two. We'll keep you posted for this story. And this week, the civilian death toll from Israel's assault on Gaza rose above 13,000 people. Two-thirds of Gazans are now in makeshift camps facing starvation and illness due to the blockade and the real possibility of death from the cold as winter sets in. In the West Bank, most communities have remained in lockdown as deadly attacks from the army and settlers have increased while attention is on Gaza. An estimated 100,000 Palestinians in the West Bank are facing destitution as they've been unable to work since October 7 when Israel closed many of their checkpoints. In response, workers groups are advocating for a one-off payment from the workers' pension funds to keep their families afloat. The workers are also seeking guarantees that this period of forced unemployment will not jeopardise their benefits, particularly their insurance entitlements. In addition to being unable to work, many Palestinians in the West Bank are living under effective house arrest as the army has shut down several towns and cities. And the junta in Myanmar has sentenced Thet Ninh Ong, the General Secretary of the Myanmar Industrial Craft Service Trade Unions Federation, to seven years in prison under anti-terrorism laws. Thet had originally been arrested in mid-2021 for participating in peaceful civil disobedience. He suffered repeated beatings and other forms of torture while in incarceration which left him with permanent hearing loss and damage to his digestive system. He was released from custody in June of this year but went missing a month later in what activists suspected was a renewed arrest by the military. His situation has now become clear after his sentence was announced by the military tribunal. That was active in organising in the garment industry before his arrest, and had led several campaigns aimed at improving working conditions for Burmese garment workers, who were the lowest paid in the region even before the 2021 coup. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. Our main story for today is that dispute at NSS in Thomastown, Melbourne. I spoke with the Electrical Trade Union's organiser for the site, Shannon Cronwell.
1: My name's uh, Shannon Cronwell. I work for the ETE Victoria as a branch organiser and have been um, organising our fine members out at Enesys uh, for the last couple of years. So,
0: so these Enesys workers, they manufacture batteries for industrial applications, mostly telecommunications. They're in dispute with their bosses. Tell me, what are the workers demanding?
1: I'll give you a little bit of background on, on the business itself. So it's a, it's an American-owned, primarily American-owned multinational uh, and it seems like their modus operandi is to go around the world and to buy up small and medium businesses um, to increase their portfolio. So they've got operations in over 100 countries around the world and, and manufacturing in over 32 different countries around the world, Being uh, Australia being one of them. Um, and back in, I think it was 2017 or 18, they bought a business, a local business here called ICS Industries, which our members work for. And they make primarily um, the things that the boys call shelters. The shelters are... A, Um, sort of half the size of a 20-foot container that sit at the bottom of all your mobile phone towers, and they have all of your switch gear and your UPSs and all the communication gear all terminate into that. So if the power to the tower drops out, well, then the tower itself will will remain on and functioning until the power is sort of restored. So that's primarily what they do on that site. They also do things like skids. They call them skids and specials. Uh, smaller amount of them. The skids themselves—they go out to disaster areas. So if a bushfire rips through a, a town and takes out all the mobile phone towers, these skids will go into place. They press a button, up pops a tower, and it's run off of uh, batteries and generators and all that kind of stuff. So the portfolio um, of work that our members do for this business is quite, quite um, spread. Um, they also make some stuff for the mining industry as well, and the skills required to do it are obviously fairly, fairly in depth. But getting back to your your first initial question about, you know, what's the dispute all about? Obviously it's about wages and conditions primarily. Um and a cost of living increase that um this is some of well, these members of ours, they're some of our lowest paid members out in the sector. Um, and they don't do anything different to a lot of our other members when it comes to installation of obviously electrical circuits and also some fairly more specialized stuff around DC wiring and, and control and whatnot. So primarily it's about Um, cost of living uh, and also the increases associated with that.
0: They're they're basically essential workers based on the description you've given of of what they work on.
1: They definitely were and through the pandemic they they were classified as essential workers because they went to work every day of the pandemic making this business an exorbitant amount of money. Um, while other people within the business obviously work from home and were in the, the safety and sanctitude of their own personal residency. Our members had to jump in the car and go to work each day. And obviously, you know, taking um, listeners' minds back to that period in history, no one really knew where the world was going. You know, it was a mm. bit all over the shop. So
0: They've been on strike since the 26th of July. Tell us the circumstances of how these basic demands of cost of living demands have resulted in a strike
1: yeah so negotiations started back in december of uh, 22 we had seven meetings up until the point of of june um or july sorry as you mentioned uh and in that time obviously we had seven negotiation meetings to and fro the the cut and thrust of bargaining as it is um and then then Ennis has pulled out and tried to coin the phrase of there's no more blood left in the stone. Now, I'd never heard that phrase before. The phrase usually goes you can't get blood out of a stone, but they tried to coin the phrase, you know, there's no more blood left in the stone, and put an agreement out to vote, which was unanimously rejected. Um, They tried several weeks later with the same agreement, uh, which was also unsuccessful in the vote, Um, and our members decided, no, we we want to get back into negotiations, and the best way to do that was to use our ability through the industrial relations framework to do partial work bans. So we went through the, the, the protected action ballot application process, got up the ability to take protected industrial action. We took a four-hour stop work and enacted all of our partial work bans at that stage just so we could have them for the remainder of the negotiations. Um, and then we notified Ennis that we wanted to take some partial work bans, things like overtime bands, paperwork bands, computer bands, and the like on site just to build a little bit of pressure and so Enesys would come back to the negotiating table. In that also our delegate um, tried for well over a month to sort of say, listen, this deal isn't going to get through the way it is. We think there's there's improvements can be made. Can we get back into negotiations? And Enesys refused. So we then, um, as I said, lodge for some protected industrial action in the form of partial work bans. The night before those partial work bans were to be enacted, uh, the general manager, uh, a man by the name of Conrad Gall, who's actually based out of Sydney, individually called all of our members and asked them, and this is outside of working hours, mind you, this is all an intimidation tactic, call them when they're at home with their families and go, are you going to partake in these partial work bans tomorrow? To our members' credit, they all all stood firm with each other and said, of course, we're going to be taking the... Protected action is protected action for a reason. Uh, Later on that evening, the same individual Conrad sent each and every member a letter outlining that if you take part in any of the partial work bans, you will not be paid a cent for the day, Um, which, unfortunately, with our broken IR laws, they can do that, even if it's something as innocuous as an overtime ban. If the company notifies members before the ban comes into play that they are going to be willing to accept, and I'll read out the actual words that they use, so ICS Industries, in brackets, Enesis, refuses to accept the performance of any work by an employee where they engage in the following partial work bans until the employees are prepared to perform their full range of duties. So that then obviously opened up the ability for us to walk off the job. And the members resolve, well, if Enesis aren't willing to get back into negotiations, if they're not going to pay us for work that we do on site, even if we're only doing something as innocuous as over overtime ban, then we're not going to go to work. And that's what kicked it off on the
0: 26th of July. That's pretty amazing Uh, and just such a credit to that workforce and all of you that are organising them. I mean, this sounds like a really dirty anti-union company and even the resources manager of that company made statements like, let's see who starves first in relation to to the strike. I take it it's a pretty hostile company. Why do you think they're so hostile to this workforce?
1: Yeah, so the, the HR manager, Linda um, Rakovic, she had worked in um, some fairly large multinationals previously. Now I can't um, say for certain, but I assume a lot of that work may be rubbed off on her and their industrial relations strategies might have been ingrained in her. Um, personally, I think because the, the business itself is obviously a uh, an American-owned multinational, and as far as we can tell, this is the only unionised workforce in there portfolio Um, so maybe it's a bit of that that they wanted to in this round of bargaining try and break our members resolve um, and try and get rid of the only union agreement that we're aware of in in their remit so um, without knowing their industrial relations strategy in depth that's that's just where my mind goes to maybe that's part of their motivations
0: and this company at the same time that it's saying those comments you said about, um, you know, there's no more blood left in the, st- in the stone for all of the mix-up of that metaphor, this company is making re- record profits at the moment. Surely they can afford to pay workers wages that are meeting the current inflation rate.
1: Well, you would think so, and, and this is where my mind does start to, to boggle a little bit, that... The business has been trying to employ A-grade electricians for at least four years, and they cannot find people to come and work for them. They've had to rely on labour hire, um, hire organisations and contractors to fill shortfalls in their labour requirements. This is before the dispute started. So, you know, the members obviously come together. Um, they wanted to improve their workplace conditions, um, which included also a little bit of respect at work on what, say, especially, as you said, with those those comments from Linda. Um, and it was a little bit of a toxic workforce. And that's why the boys wanted to stand together and go, no, we want this is an opportunity for us to change the landscape a little bit. While money is important, things like respect to work is obviously very important. But they actually put on their log of claims some things like um, equal amenities. So the building itself has got... A nice new clean canteen, not canteen, the you know, lunchroom facility for the office workers. But our members are relegated out the back of the site to a, a leaky portable shed that has been their smoko shed for a, a number of years now. And so they wanted to say, well, if, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. We want to have some decent lunchroom amenities and toilets because they're the ones making the money for the business at the end of the day. They're the ones with the skills putting, putting all these things together for them to sell.
0: And just on that toxic work environment, I know that in the middle of the, this dispute the bosses have done some pretty petty things like damaging workers' tools, et cetera. Can you talk us through some of those incidents?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so it started off early on in the piece where they refused our members' access to use the toilets on site. That escalated into not, them not being able to park their cars, uh, you know, in the secure car park on site. Um and then led to letters about, you know, you, you're taking a legal industrial action, um, which was, again, a, an email that come through after hours when our members are sitting down having dinner with their families. All of a sudden they get, you know, I mean, how would, how would listeners feel out there if they started getting a letter from their boss saying, that you know, if you don't rock up for work tomorrow, you're going to lose your job. So they're straight on the phone to the union and we had to spend several hours one of the nights trying to to calm them down a little bit because we were doing legal industrial action because of the act, um, and it was quite amazing that it, at quarter to six the following morning, uh, Conrad had to um, retract his threatening letter and say, no, 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 actually, we were and the members were following the law, and they weren't partaking in a legal industrial action, but this is sort of the dirty tactics they did in court. And then um, you mentioned the tools and that, so they did write to him and say, you've got to get all your personal items off-site, but they wouldn't let our members go in to get those personal items, so... Ennis has said, "Well, we'll bring him out to the boundary of the of the business, and um, if listeners want to get on our Facebook, they'll see a, a video back in the back in July or August, whenever that incident happened, of um, a forklift driver bringing out one of the boys' tool cabinets, putting it down on the ground, and it falling over into the uh, into the garden, which bent it and dinted it, and." We have to go there and spend a bit of time picking up all these tools.
0: I mean, it was intended to be humiliating to him, but it sounds like there was enough strength and solidarity that he didn't go down that path. These workers have been out for four months now. How how are they surviving? Because it's four months without um, pay uh, in the middle of this um, cost of living crisis.
1: And the short answer is solidarity from the working class of Victoria and around the country. We've had donations come in from you know Queensland, Western Australia, um, other branches of other unions coming down. So we had uh, we had Sally McManus come down and do a speech uh, with the boys. We've had Christy Kane come down. Um, a lot of secretaries from other branches of the ETU have come and pledged support from their members. Um, but it's really down at the you know the rank and final of the, the union movement, just providing. Funds Through the Hardship Fund, which has been keeping this dispute going. That's really um, quite empowering to see. And our members, um, from the bottom of their heart, do thank everybody that has contributed to this campaign because they wouldn't be able to have this fight without that kind of support and solidarity from just working people. Um, and it has been amazing when you're out there on the picket and you just get people in with a, a bag of cakes or donuts or coffees or something like that. They're just normal, regular, working-class people um, that come down and show support, just to say keep the fight going. You know,
0: is there any end in sight to the dispute?
1: We'd like to think so. I mean, there's there's obviously got to be resolutions to these disputes. Um, you know, we would like to see a resolution to this sooner rather than later. Um, but it's got to be on the workers' terms, and there, the workers have been, and all the way through this dispute, open. To re-enter discussions open to re-entering negotiations and have endorsed me to put different positions back to us um without prejudice and say well this is what's going to get the deal done they did reach out to us several weeks ago um, for some discussions but unfortunately pulled out of those discussions shortly thereafter um so there's a few little things in the winds which i won't let you you your listeners know about just yet um, but we're hopeful we can we can come to some kind of solution but You can never crystal ball these things, Um, but we definitely would like to see this resolved sooner rather than later. But that's going to mean that uh, Ennis is going to have to swallow some pride in this process.
0: And while you're doing all of that stuff behind the scenes that we can't know about yet, completely respect that, comrade. In the meanwhile, what do the workers need by way of solidarity to help them win from here? What can we ask our listeners to provide?
1: Yeah, so um, as you said, we've got a, a flyer that hopefully will be available on your uh, on your website and podcast for, for the listeners. Um, the boys are on picket uh, three seven a.m. to three p.m. Monday to Friday, every working day. They're there, uh, so feel free to pop in, say good day, spend twenty minutes or so having a chat with them. They're really really great guys, just um, you know salt of the earth type people, just genuine working class people. Um, there's also a, a fighting fund. Which I don't have the details in front of me, but they are on the on the flyer that will be on your website, um, and also there's a, an email address of the uh, head of operations, a man by the name of Jay Roquevert, Um, That obviously that's one way in which people could show some support by emailing him and just you know say saying that uh, they support these workers in their fight, and that um, you know especially when it comes to that that. Now infamous line about let's see who stars first. You know Australian workers should never ever be starved out of their workplace, especially when they're all they're asking for is a, is a helping hand from a business that's making a multitude of uh, or a hell of a lot of money to provide them with a a bit of a cost of living, you know, wage increase and relief. So that's that's probably the three ways. Email that Jay uh, if they can provide a little bit of money to the fighting fund and go down and visit the guys because that's what keeps their spirit up and keeps them fighting.
0: Yeah, we'll absolutely get that Fighting Fun bank details out to all of our listeners and that email address as well. Shannon, thanks so much for your time on the program today. Was there anything you wanted to add?
1: No, just um, obviously thanks for the time, Isil, and the opportunity to get the guys' story out there. Um, It has been 18 weeks now. and will be not the start of the 19th week uh, this coming Wednesday. So as I said, if any listeners want to get down there and show some support for the guys, they'd very much appreciate it. But I think just overall, you know, in in this cost of living crisis, I think it's important for all working class people. Just remember, if you don't fight, you lose.
0: You're listening to Stick Together. Worker stories and union news broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. That was Shannon Cronwell, the organizer for the NSC site in Thomastown, Victoria, and he's from the Electrical Trade Union speaking about that dispute. And that's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with our program, the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or on iTunes, and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. My name's Giselle Hannah. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. And until next time, stick together and keep safe.
2: Of the bosses we must fight for From the cities and the farmlands To trenches full of mud war who always been the bosses, why, sir? The union forever defending our rights Now with the black lady workers unite With our brothers and our sisters many far off lands there is power in a union Now I long for the morning That I realise brutality And unjust laws cannot defeat us But who defend the workers Who cannot organise When the bosses send their lackeys out To cheat us Money speaks for money the devil